You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show and welcome to episode 132. Very proud to say that this is the first episode after reaching 100,000 listeners for the podcast and um, couldn't have done it without the help of all the experts that have come across. And one of those experts to join us a few times is one of my best mates, Dave Gilbert from Strategic Surveying. Mate, thanks for coming in again. Oh, thank you for having me, mate, and congratulations. Hey, today we're focusing on retain and build, retain and split developments. So the really small stuff that uh, we get a lot of questions about from people on a weekly basis. Normally, it's the sort of stuff people will dip their toes in when they start thinking about subdivisions. Uh, we want to run through the pros and cons today of why people would and wouldn't get into it and what they really need to focus on is the best outcome and also the risks along the way. Let's kick it off straight away with just a really quick explanation from yourself, Dave, as to what we're talking about here when we talk about retain and split or retain and build projects. So we're talking about keeping the existing dwelling that's on the lot and then trying to maximise the potential of that lot by either subdividing a portion of land off or adding an additional dwelling to that lot. So there's a lot of factors that go into these sort of developments and um, I'm sure we'll touch on these coming up. That's exactly right. And to be more specific, we're talking about keeping that old 3x1, that 4x1 house that was built 50 years ago, which comes with renovation costs generally. And what we want to focus on straight away there is make the point that when we're doing a retain and split or retain and build project, it's very rarely just a retain and split. It also becomes a renovation space as well. It starts to look like the, the block and the project management side is actually far more complex than doing a demolish and develop project as well. Yeah, I mean, when I'm talking to various people when they, they ask about these questions about doing the retain, the best way that I can describe it to them is that essentially what you're doing is almost doing a new build for that existing house. So all the R code requirements, outdoor living, parking, you're having to pro- pro- actually provide all those spaces with that existing dwelling. And that's where it can actually become complicated. They're trying to fit in these new requirements on a building that was approved you know, 20, 50 years ago. It's become a lot harder with the councils clamping down on keeping to those new building codes on the old houses. You know, uh, it's coming into the criteria for subdivision split codes as well. You look at the city of Kalamunda, for example, for you to be able to operate at the higher code, generally an R30 or an R40, and then therefore keep the existing property. They're asking you to upgrade the roof the front facade, bring in solar uh, solar panels, bring in grey water systems. That's on top of the R-code stuff, which is having a shed go into the backyard now, having adequate parking bays with stormwater and fencing and all those things going in. It starts to become quite a costly exercise that a lot of people haven't budgeted for. Yeah, it's, it's a type of development that we're seeing a lot of people actually move away from because mm. it's become that complicated. To be frank and to be open with our clients, it's something we've moved away from a lot. When we first started in this space at Strategic, uh, we did a few uh, retain and splits and retain and builds because our clients were looking for that, looking at, I guess, their serviceability and budget of that. But we've really moved away from that space. And the reason for that being the complexity of the project management, but also the risk that is involved in what these things will be worth at the end in terms of the, re- the renovated older house, but also the risk in terms of what it costs to renovate that ceilings have collapsed on my head before mm. uh, showers have leaked into the the brickwork uh, in the middle of the hallways before and the list goes on right so termite stuff starts to become involved but more importantly talking about the cost side a lot of this cost is cost that you have to pay with your own cash whereas when you're doing a development that includes a de- demolition most of the cash you're spending really is just demolishing the house starting again and the rest is financed 
that's a really great point I just made. When you're doing a full demo site uh, compared to just doing a, a retain, the, the major cost difference is the demolition. Whereas when you're doing the retain, all of that demolition money that you think you're saving actually goes back into upgrading existing house. So you're not actually saving by doing either option, but doing the retain, you might be taking longer and you're also paying that in cash. So when you're doing your feasibilities all the time for us on projects that include demolishing a house with regards to the subdivision, the pure subdivision costs versus projects that include retaining the house and spending all the cash on the associated subdivision requirements, what would be the differential there? Run us through what those extra costs would be to retain the house. So if you're retaining a house, you're going to have to provide parking base. A lot of times when you retain a house, you're probably removing the carport on the side in order to provide access to that rear lot. So then you're providing two new car bays at the front. So that's drainage, paving, all included. You're also paving that portion of the driveway, depending on what council you are, the portion of or the full length, doing drainage for that as well. So that actual cost to do, you know, just on a very simple 700 square meter lot, that was a front and back, you'd be looking at about 30 grand worth of just parking and drainage for the access way. Then we're landscaping the backyard probably to create a new, a more compact backyard, including a shed as well. Including the shed and then we're um, painting the existing house, usually upgrading that, you know, providing outdoor living spaces if there's not enough space you know, behind the house. There's a lot of different things that come into it. Maybe going to a building surveyor, getting certifications for things that were built previously as well. That's another huge issue that we've come across previously. You may also be looking at things like retaining. So if, if you're in a city of Joondalup, for example, let's say the suburb of Heathridge, most of those properties, if we've ever been to a mate's house in Heathridge, the backyard would have that rock retaining where the house would be on one level and the backyard nearly steps up a meter or two to get to the back fence. That can be one of those ones where on paper, it looks like a great retain and a split subdivision because the houses are normally pretty good quality that are retained. But the backyard can be a nightmare when it comes to retaining itself. Yeah, well, you're also looking at just the lot dimension. It's like, oh, that looks great. And you go to site and you have this huge you know, old rock retaining wall that enters halfway into that new lot that you're wanting to create. So you're having to actually remove that and put a new retaining wall in. But that retaining wall is going to be two and a half metres high. Mm. Uh, that's a substantial cost. And that's a real factor for a lot of suburbs in Perth, especially those ones up in the northern suburbs that are built on sand dunes. Yeah, and if you're not doing the build, you're just doing it as a subdivision, that's a huge cost and also time-consuming uh, item to go through in terms of planning approval certification and actually getting it done. Now, a big part of contention that has been changing over the last couple of years with regards to these retain and splits, where there is common property, is the service run down the common property. Back in the day, you'd nearly just provide a switchboard at the front. You may or may not have to pave that common property, depending on which council we're talking about. And then we'd sell that back lot to someone and they'd figure out how to get services to their backyard in terms of maybe it's uh, water and sewerage and the power from the, the uh, dome at the front. Things have changed in the last year or so, haven't they, in terms of the provisions we're having to allow for with conduits from the front all the way down, which all adds up in terms of money. So any common property access way, having to provide services all the way up to inside the lot. So not just to the common property access point where anyone could actually dig a trench, put a conduit in. We're actually having to run those pre-getting clearances for the subdivision all the way to the lots. And it's also going to be an issue of after you've actually done the subdivision, someone else new comes in, goes to do a build. They're now having to put their soak walls in, you know, construct the access way. All these items that you've pre-installed for your subdivision are going to be in conflict with these ones that are coming later on. Mm. So it's a bit of a contentious issue. When they first bring out all these requirements, it does have a positive because it does mean anyone that 
purchases that lot shouldn't have any unexpected costs when they come up to you know starting their build but it's also probably could have been costs that could be advised with you know when they're doing the build or you know if there's a bit more education around when you're buying a lot nbn that's something that's come in the last year or so that's gone from being uh, something we knew was going to have to happen to something now that's being enforced by WAPC in their in their conditions. Can you explain what's going on with the, in terms of the cost and what needs to be provided? They've actually done a backflip. So they bring out this new requirement, so having all the conduit in place for MBN or telecommunications in your subdivision. And then they've now removed that out as a condition because they realised that there aren't necessarily anyone that has the correct certification to confirm the works that have been done actually correct so they've actually removed that out of it it's just an advice note in terms of mbn you still have to pay a developer's contribution fee that's a federal requirement that you have to pay and that's just allocates a spot in their system saying that that lot create is actually there it's sort of like a headworks fee exactly like a headworks fee so talking headworks we'll segue onto the water corp section and specifically we'll talk about the sewer line back in the old days a lot of the properties would actually have their internal sewer line running right through the center of the property even if the sewer junction was in the back corner uh, it would somehow find its way into the center of the property and then run straight into the laundry which is often in the center of the house at the back of these old three by ones that becomes a problem for a developer when they're selling that lot block of land and a new person comes in and needs to build on that block of land, putting a new slab down, they're going to need to move that door and sewer line, aren't they? They are. So it's a recommendation in the subdivision that that sewer line be cut, sealed, and then realigned to run around the edge of the boundary of that new lot at the back. It's also a good point that you bring up is actually considering that when you do your subdivision design or where that boundary is going to be at the back of your house, because a matter of moving at one metre or two metres means that you could have all these connections coming out of your house they're joining to a single line. So that joining point could be inside the existing um, lot where you're going to keep the house or it could be outside. If it's outside, that means you've got to do all this more additional plumbing work that's going to be a lot more costly than just doing one cut and realignment. Yeah, probably still less costly than if someone was to purchase this block, not realise that the line was in the wrong place and then put a slab down somehow. Oh, especially when they're digging their trenches for the slab. Yeah, exactly. Talking about that internal boundary line separating the back lot that we're about to create with the existing house, one thing that I notice a lot of people still getting wrong is the location of where that lot can be. People will generally put it right up to the back of the house. And what are they missing there when they're, when they're doing that? We, a lot of items. So you, you, know, you can try to figure out where is your outdoor living space going to be for that existing dwelling. And what are the provisions there? So there's minimum dimensions around it, which is four meters. And then depending on your zoning, that square metre rate changes depending on what it is. But that four metres is a minimum. And where does that come from? The eaves, the back wall? So that comes from, or well, depending if you have a patio or not, if you know patio over covering it, that can start from the back wall, including some portion underneath the eaves. So, you know, if you've got an existing house that has this nice big patio at the back and you think you're just going to run this boundary line along the edge of the patio, if you do that, you're going to have to remove that patio to provide outdoor living space, open space as well. It's also going to be a building requirement to have to remove that patio. So thinking about, you know, what are my building requirements? What are my planning requirements? And how much money do I want to spend in this development dictates where I would suggest putting that, that line. In that backyard, we normally wanted to put a pergola, an alfresco area, something like that. We need to be providing for two-thirds of this backyard as open area, don't we? It can't be a patio, can't be enclosed. Reason for that is access to solar solar light 
it's a big requirement that's going to be enforced stronger in the future, especially with the planning reforms that are coming up. There's got to have access to light for the windows and also in the outdoor living spaces as well. Now, another segue, you just spoke about new planning reforms coming up. Trees are a big part of that reform. How do you think it's going to affect retain and build or retain and split projects? Hugely, because what it is, is a lot of these developments, you're having to include an additional space now to provide an area for the tree. So an area where you just had outdoor living space, as long as you met that requirement, you're all good. You're now having to provide this additional area for this tree space. So you need to try to figure out whether that's going to be in the front if you've got space. If you don't, it's going to have to be in the back and that's going to dictate where that back boundary is going to be which may mean you can't meet your minimum lot sizes, which means you can't do your subdivision. Yeah, so a lot of factors, a lot of variables starting to creep in there. Outdoor living area, uh, open space, tree growth zone allocation, parking bays at the front, setbacks for that parking, uh, storage. There's a lot of things in here that we need to be allowing for outside of just the roof space of the existing house. Well, this is where getting good planning advice becomes very important because you could go through the subdivision process, get a conditional approval for a subdivision, that says comply to our codes and it might mean you've got to remove that garage that you was thinking about keeping and that's an additional cost you weren't even thinking about because mm. you didn't realize you had to do those works it's one simple condition comply with our codes but so many requirements around it yeah we have seen conditional approvals come through with people that have come to us where on paper it's conditionally approved to be able to actually fulfill the conditions for that approval you have to knock down part of the house yeah yeah and that certainly isn't something that a lot of people would have been planning for in the first place. And talking about knocking down part of a house, this is an episode of Segwaying. I'm loving this. <laughs> Quite a few developments we have been a part of that include the retain back in the early days, included getting rid of the garage to allow for that common property space. Do you want to run us through the minimum dimensions of common property and what the West Australian Planning Commission is looking for and practically how we are demolishing that old garage? Yeah, so you know, the standard deemed to comply requirement would be a four metre wide access way. That provides for a three-meter driveway with a half-meter vegetation strip either side. That's from side boundary to the width of the common property. Your house may be further away than that. And to clarify that, you can't have eaves overhanging into that common property from the existing house, can you? No, but there is an allowance within the, the regulations that if you are keeping an existing dwelling, well, then that common property access way can be reduced down to three metres. So you're still keeping that driveway width for three metres, but you're just losing those half metre vegetation strips for that portion past the house. Okay, so for a house that has either all or part of that three to four metre width covered by a inbuilt garage, what are we doing there to fix that problem? Well, I'm hoping that the garage can be removed entirely. It makes it a much simpler removal if they're wanting to keep a one car bay in that that's where it comes quite complicated. So we're having to remove any encroachments from that three metre line. So you're having to build brand new brick wall and then doing a, a clean flush fascia across that as well. A gabling essentially. Yeah, gable, you do a gable edge is a good example where you're cutting just the eaves off. You're having to clear everything from that access way. So that's where like trying to decide on what's gonna be the easier option of actually just fully removing it and then having a fresh edge or are you trying to retain a portion and essentially build you know, a new wall and then tying that into the existing roof structure, which is the issue. In that space, we'd be talking about trades being the demolition company. So a few thousand dollars on the demo side and a roof carpenter and another, you know, two to five thousand dollars generally. Would you agree with that? 
you get your, your planning approvals yep. for the demolition and also you know your building certifications yeah. depending so on the size of work you're doing. It can add up there it, as well. It can be anywhere from you know, a couple grand to tens of thousand dollars. Now we spent probably 20 minutes there talking about a lot of the risks, a lot of the negatives of that retain and split, retain and build. But I guess what this is going to be doing is getting a lot of people disappointed. Now to be open, my first development was a retain and split project in Balga. It was a long time ago. Now, it was 12 years ago and some of the regulations have changed, but it is still something if, if you can find a good quality existing house that doesn't need too much work, there is some money in it, especially in a rising market. So if we were to pump up retain and builds or retain and split projects, what would you say would be uh, some of the benefits to people? Well, why would you want to remove a house when you don't need to? So if you have a, have a lot and this house is built to one side, which is quite often the case, and you're able to get your access way through quite easily, and you've got the space and your only requirement is to just put the car bays in the front and it's a good house, then why would you remove it? Unless there's a financial reason that you would do so. That's exactly the point. So for people who are restrained on a servicing capacity in terms of can't get the loan maybe for the build at the back uh, and the house is of good quality, maybe they already own the property, they already live in the property and they're just looking to divest some of the cash from the backyard for retirement or paying down their mortgage, a retain and split is definitely something you should be looking at. When you're demolishing that house, you're probably destroying $100,000 of value and hoping you make it up in the development itself. Uh, so it isn't for everyone and there certainly are opportunities in this market where if you've got a nice enough house, especially one you live in or you've lived in for 40 or 50 years and you're simply looking to divest for a bit of cash, there's that opportunity there. And that's probably a lot of the market that we see where it does work, clients coming through to us, they're people who have lived there for years, they're just looking to get rid of that last bit of the mortgage. Yeah, they're looking just to carve off a piece of portion of the back to downsize as well. A lot of areas where that's the case or a lot of areas where you have the planning requirements where you've got to actually keep the existing dwelling or if it's of a, a certain age, you've got to keep it or maintain it. Those situations, if it's dwellings in a good spot and you carve a portion off, go ahead with the subdivision. From my experience, my final piece of advice would be don't do the retain and split unless you are going to fully renovate it yourself and you have the skill set to do so. Or if you are able to not have any tenants in there at all or not live in there and can be totally separate from that dwelling and just be able to have all the contractors come in and be able to do their work independently. Trying to do a bit of both slows items down, it becomes more complicated. You're trying to move different works from one area to another just so you can try to stay at the same time. It becomes quite an extended subdivision. That brings up a really good point, Dave, that you mentioned, and that's the tenants. And it's probably one of the, the pros that come up from a retain and split or a retain and build project is that because you can keep the house, you can retain the servicing income coming through. And that really helps people from a cash flow perspective. Now, on paper, that looks fantastic in the fact that you're probably still paying for the mortgage every week. There's no issues there. And especially when you're a young person, I think if you do do this as an investment strategy where every dollar counts on a weekly basis, having that rental income still coming in and not burning a pocket on the interest base is actually really attractive and important for people. However, the recognition needs to be made that what we see from a clean demolition build uh, development is that that subdivision in terms of cash cost probably costs between fifty and sixty thousand dollars in most cases let's say for a triplex if you're retaining that property and having to spend that money on the stormwater 
on the new driveway, on the new fencing, the landscaping, and then the renovation involved, we've seen that cash cost go from 50, 60 grand for a demolish option up to 80 to 100 grand to get all of that done at the same time. So recognize that whilst it does seem cheaper on the cash flow space, whilst there is less debt involved on the overall development contribution space, it's probably going to cost you more in cash. And given the fact you're not scaling on a larger project where you're using a lot more debt, you're using leverage on a bigger project to make more cash, you're probably looking for less of a profit as well. So in most spaces in Western Australia at this point in time, we're analyzing retainer splits from our numbers where the profit probably comes out at somewhere between sixty dollars and $80,000. Now, you'll probably end up spending over $100,000 in cash on top of the purchase of that block in the first place. The return on investment, return on equity is actually a lot lower from a retain and split space than it is to do that development from a demolition point of view. Which is all the risk involved. And that's where the risk sits. Yeah. Dave, thanks a lot for the chat, mate. It's been a little bit of a, really a chit-chat on retainer <laughs> splits. It's something we haven't done for a while, but because we've been getting so many questions about it recently, possibly because of the cost of building going up so much, we thought it was just good to reference it, make sure that everyone understood the pros and cons. And thanks for your time, and I really appreciate it. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!